everyone, and welcome to another episode of Between Two Studs. I'm Alex Studd. And I'm Ron Studd. Ron, it's episode 13. Lucky 13. Lucky 13. And I feel like what better for, for people who even believe in luck than to be talking with someone who's in the world of psychiatry. In the world of psychoanalysis? Psychometry? You always psychology. You numb nuts. Psychology. psychology. I've only been doing it for twenty years. You know, and I, it's sad because I've known you for over twenty years too. So, so the world of psychology. Psychogeology. Psychogeology. I like it. Got it. I like that. So we're gonna. It's gonna be. We're gonna be sitting on the metaphorical couch today. Although I don't know if that's offensive or not. But we're gonna be sitting on the metaphorical couch today with our wonderful friend and guest, Dr. Drew Berkeley. How you doing today? Doing just fine, Mr. Studd. How about yourselves? Doing very good. We're excited to have you on. Yeah, I mean, I'm very excited to be here. I think we should probably get to know you best through our fire round. So with Go that, let's let's kick this off. Drew, how do you know us? Well, when in January 2001, I was waiting for my father to pick me up from play practice, and there was this odd-looking tall person making crazy faces and noises by the Alex, telephone. Clearly, clearly, Alex, because he was a senior in high school at that point. And I said, "This fella's kind of interesting," and thus I became friends with the one Ron Stud. Oh yeah, uh, and it was fabulous. And and uh, Ron and I hit it off pretty good. And I uh, found out he was not too far up the up the highway, up the highway, the, the uh, up the highway from me, just right on the other side of the bridge. I was right below the bridge in slower, lower Delaware. Mm. And Ron never let me forget that as long as I was beneath him. Uh, uh, in the geographically, if you want to talk psychogeographically, mm-hmm. I, I was below you in that in that sense. Uh, went to high school together, ended up going to college together. I did my things in Philadelphia, came down south, and wouldn't you know, he came down south too. It's just like he just seems to follow me, and and I got to know you, Alex, when you're with a bit uh, nothing but a wee studling. Right, That's true. I think I think I was nine or ten. You were in third grade at Seed Lane Elementary School, is where you were. It's true. It's true. So I I was not that description uh, as the tall guy. You were back then. You were a a couple of heads shorter than Ron, but you were referred to as his mini me. I remember that distinctly. You you were called Ron's mini me. Yes, (laughs) yes, I was, and I and to this day I still am. What I think is interesting about that whole saga of how you two met is. Drew, keep me honest, but you grew up and spent your whole life in Middletown, Delaware, right? Like you went through the K through 12 system through Appaquinimic School District. I will have to correct you on that. I didn't get into the Appaquinimic School District till fifth grade. I was actually born in Iowa uh, and then moved to Ohio and then moved to Delaware. Okay. So, but at least fifth grade on. Fifth grade on. Yes. So, so, so here you are. It's like by the time you rolled into late high school. Right, like you, you know the cast of characters at Middletown High School, mm-hmm. and Ron did something very unusual, which is transferring high schools going into his senior year—a terribly hard thing to do. Because I know how close he was with Brandon. Yeah. I didn't know it at the time, but I know now, and that's a hard thing to do. Being in the position I am as a child psychologist, knowing that 
you know, you have yourself established, you have friends, you have relationships and the dynamics of the high school you're at, you know, the lay of the land, you're getting ready to move on to the next phase of your identity. And here you have to up and move and recreate yourself. And that's a really hard thing for someone to do. Uh, and even more so now you have to find a way to fit in with a social group. Uh, and it was, but he found you. Well, he found you. Yes, but after three months of going through school, school. Now he had already made a name for himself as as the Ron. Uh, he had a posse already. I kind of joined in his posse. Uh, There's uh, a drama in my old posse, thanks to relationships that fizzled out and drama that happened senior year and girlfriends slash future wives that didn't come see you over the summer break. That was the right time for me to find a new posse for a little bit. So you took us back a little down high school memory lane. Yeah, good times. And, you know, we're obviously going to talk a lot about your career tonight, but we're really interested in learning about some of your interests as well. Mm -hmm. Just like outside of work, tell us about kind of your interests. I think you're, you would describe yourself as a, as a nerd, right? Oh, totally. in, a, in a positive way. Um, Ron, uh, I'm a big tech nerd. Um, I'm, I'm glad I get to use some of my hobby for my job too. Like I do like editing videos and I get to do some of that with, with what I do at work. Uh, you know, Ron has dubbed me the king of obsolete technology, uh, mainly because, yeah, uh, uh, until recently I had is that your is that your title on your business card? It should be. It should be on the small print underneath this is king of obsolete technology. Uh, but I have him to thank for some of that because I have a whole box of like IDE cables and um, uh, ISA cards and PCI cards, not PCIe, PCI cards and AGP graphics cards. And uh, EDO RAM uh, makes great keychains, by the way. EDO RAM does. Uh, Drew is somebody who, um, you know, normally there's a lot of places that do collections for, for people of the world. And usually most people would assume after 10 to 15 years, it's not even worth like taking to like a Goodwill or Salvation Army. Drew is the perfect candidate. He will take something like that and he will find a use for it. And, um, so we're going to talk about some some gaming a little bit later, which yeah. we just kind of alluded to. But um, you also are a fan of Japanese cartoons as well, right? Yeah, the Japanimation, if you will. Yes. Uh, Ron – so everybody needs a friend like Ron. Ron got me into that uh, when I was in college. In fact, uh, I, I consider myself to be a good student, but the semester he introduced me to Ronma One Half was my lowest scoring semester in my entire college career. I had B's and C's that semester, and it's because I got hooked on Ron in one half and would watch that instead of studying, thinking I can just be like Ron and do this test without – no, I can't. <laughs> and Drew's parents still hold it against me. They're like, you won't believe what he told us. He told us that semester it was because you gave him this anime stuff. I'm kidding. I'm kidding. No, they don't. They love Ron's dead. Um, but uh, no, that was my lowest scoring semester. Uh, happy to say, though, I did finish the entire season within that semester, so it didn't carry over to the first semester of my sophomore year. Um, but uh, it did do a number on me for a while. I've... You know, have you watched that show in the last few years? I guess what I mean, and I'm curious, is the world has very much changed. The main character for the listener is uh, a character that uh, goes through sex changes back and forth between man and, uh, and female quite frequently, multiple times sometimes within a single episode. Have you watched that show in the last couple of years? Yeah. And give, has it given you like a totally different perspective when than when that show came out in the 1990s? I think 
uh, a, a perspective in how are you talking about culturally? Or are you talking about uh, having uh, the way seen the it way I would say the way we probably view like gender? Um, yes, yes, that's exactly what I'm asking. Uh, gender fluidity. Yes. Well, I have not watched it since uh, the Me Too movement, and I've not watched it since um, uh, kind of gender. Uh, you know, our transgender friends have always been with us, but uh, recently in the past couple of years, there's been. Uh, more debate about it than is, I think is necessary. That's a whole other topic we can talk about is gender fluidity and equity, equity and uh, being non-binary. Uh, I have not watched it more in that push. I have watched it. I watched it, I think, last episode about three years ago. And that was not hitting me as far as um, uh, uh, the gender fluidity of the character. But I do think it gives a good representation. Uh, we all have ma- uh, what we consider typical masculine and feminine traits about us. And the character Ron one half is no different. Uh, in fact, there's a couple episodes uh, where he's seen eating ice cream that would be typically reserved for for females in Japan. And he says, I can't be a boy and eat this stuff. And so he transforms into a girl so he can eat it and not have shame. And so I think that goes to show that even in the 1990s and 1980s, there's this idea that men wanted to do these things, but they couldn't because they weren't female or because they'd be seen as unmasculine. Are you saying – I mean obviously you haven't seen it in several years, but you're, you're sort of um... – you're making the argument that it was pretty progressive for its time in many ways, and there's a lot of things that it it would hold up today. I guess I, you know I was curious. I haven't seen that show since I was a kid. Which <laughs> I don't know. If I, I don't know kid? If I should, My God! I don't know if I I don't know if I should have been watching that show when I was a kid, but I did, and I and I haven't watched the show uh, any time. Well, I, I think it goes to just, show I, is that the fights that we're fighting now have always been there. And the world's not getting worse. It's just getting more accepting and understanding that we should not be judging somebody based uh, based on their likes, whether they're male or female or masculine or feminine or whether they're a real man or uh, whatever they choose to be identify as. Uh, I think what it goes to show is that we should be able to like the things we like and enjoy the things we enjoy without having to fear if this is making us look one way or the other towards a gender. Uh, I think that's what the, I'd get from that. Well – that's wonderfully said. And speaking of <laughs> things that we enjoy, what are you currently drinking? Well, I was going to be drinking some Buffalo Trace, but uh, uh, my good friend Ron here will be joining me tomorrow, and so I wanted to make sure I had some. Uh, and so when I was searching through the bottom drawer of my fridge, I found the last lonely bottle of a delicious Yingling Hershey's Chocolate Porter, which is I, fabulous. I was going to ask, how, how wonderful is it? Mm. You get all the notes. Tell that it's a Yingling beer in there. You can taste the dark hints of the chocolate. It's a nice dark chocolate. It's very smooth as it's going down. Uh, it's a perfect pairing of two Pennsylvania companies. Well, when I heard the announcement, I, 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 that's what got me excited. I was like, you know, that's cool that two Pennsylvania companies are like joining forces to create a, uh, you know, a unique beverage. So I have yet to have it. When I was in Pennsylvania last, I was looking for it and I couldn't find it. Mm-hmm. Hopefully I'll try it soon. Tennessee is one of the few southern places, and I, maybe Georgia now. Well, Florida for sure. I'm not sure about Georgia. I'm sure Georgia does yingling, but not all places get yingling. Uh, and so when I moved, decided to move to Tennessee, I had not checked that out. Uh, and so my supervisor, my pre-doctoral internship, uh, it was the, we were all done everything. We were having a go-wing party, and she bought me a 24-pack of yingling just in case yingling was not available in Tennessee. So uh, uh, that was very sweet of her, but uh, I was very glad to see that there's Yingling because that was by far my the beer I was brought up on. If I was to say I was brought up by a beer, it's be Yingling. And Ron, what are you drinking on this fine evening? So on this evening, I'm drinking 
Rebel Distillers Collection bourbon whiskey. This is a Kentucky straight single barrel. Um, got it from my local uh, liquor store. And I have to say, it's very, very tasty. It's got a lot of kind of, um, I don't know, like it, it almost has a little bit of like raisin, a little bit of hint of cinnamon. It's definitely got some of the oakiness on it. Um, almost in some ways, it tastes like if you mix maybe a bit of a spiced rum with a little bit of whiskey. I don't know where all the spice is coming from, but it's very complimentary. It tastes really nice. So what are you drinking, Alex? Well, you know, I tried to think about what drink I was going to have tonight, and I wanted to have a drink that sort of uh, pays homage to Drew Berkeley here, mm. who, who lives in Tennessee. So I do have, and I've drank this once before on this show, uh, Chattanooga Whiskey <laughs> Rye. And obviously Chattanooga is just down the road, what, maybe an hour and 20 minutes from, from where you hail? About two hours. Two hours. Okay, close enough. Same Same that way between me and Ron. Well, it is funny. You obviously know that area better. Both of you know that area better than me. But I do know that part of the country with the Smoky Mountains. I feel like the roads go really weird. Like I know when I when I was driving down from Chicago over Christmas to visit Ron, I felt like as we drove through Nashville and then cut over. And I felt like I went into Alabama. Then I went in back into Tennessee. Then I was in Georgia. Georgia yep. Then I was back in Tennessee again. I was like, what is, what is going on? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. The, the, the engineers that put it together, they were certainly partaking in some of the shine and uh, mm -hmm. some other distilled products. So. Well, it Maryland helped. is the only other messed up state in that regard. Maryland is made up of the leftover parts that other states didn't want. Mm. Well, that's how I've always described uh, where Ron and I grew up living in Bear, Delaware. If you look at this. At oh, Bear is no, all like, over the place. What is Bear, Delaware? No, it's it's here. It's, it it's no, where you don't it's, know. <laughs> it's whatever Newark and Wilmington didn't want. Yeah. yeah if you're exactly. somewhere in, in northern Delaware and you don't know which part you're in, you're, you're in Bear. Bear. <laughs> that's all there is is there even a post and i've never seen or do you have to go to new to get to your post office i've never seen a welcome to bear sign ever i don't know where it is Who's where the it bear town council it's Where's just this weird bear? district <laughs> as far as i understand i think it's just a weird postal district where it's like it's there um but there's no city of it maybe there is a city but there's no town hall but yeah anyway all right <laughs> Drew, let's get to our last part of our fire round. Um, so this is something that we ask all of our guests. And the question is, you know, for all of our guests, everybody, certainly we all appreciate art, right? Mm -hmm. And mm -hmm. one of the things that we think is kind of interesting is hearing from, you know, basically our guests, what is a, one single piece of art that you think defines you or represents you? And tell us about that. Well, it's not a very well-known piece of art, except probably to you, Ron, and maybe Alex has seen it as well. Um, but it, it, this was a question I gave some thought to. Um, and it would have to be, uh, because of, of the uh, profession I'm in and the necessity of it, is at uh, our College of Misericordia, they had uh, an outdoor art exhibit, which was, uh, had, it was four slabs of stone, and each stab got progressively more defined as it went along. And by the end of it, they're supposed to be, you know, supposed to symbolize you starting as a freshman and ending this well-defined character as a senior. Uh, but I always had a problem with that, uh, too, because uh, just when you get to the, you think you graduate, you're a senior and so forth, it turns out you don't know 
crap. Mm. Right. And so now you go into this new world and you have to redefine yourself again. And you're being chiseled away by your uh, mentors and by your supervisors. And, and I, I think that to a degree would similar, would, would speak to me because you're always having to reinvent your, not reinvent yourself, always having to sharpen yourself. Uh, and in fact, you'd think that when I did 13 years of psychology, right, I started my journey of psychology in 2001. I graduated in 2013. I should be freaking chiseled by this point. I don't know what happened. I got this belly instead of being ripped. Uh, but it turns out once you get into my field, after you're uh, a fresh doctoral student <laughs> or got your doctorate degree, uh, you're an early career psychologist for the next 13 years. And the reason why they call you early career is because you don't know crap. Hmm. Uh, and so uh, you'll, we keep waiting and thinking that we're going to get to this point where we're well chiseled and defined and ready. Uh, but I don't think that point comes, uh, especially in a world where you're constantly having to learn and be sharpened by those around you. And so uh, uh, to a degree, that's the art that I think represents me, but it's a, uh, in perpetual motion is that you're, uh, you, you think you're done, but you're continuing to have to refine and learn and grow. And with that comes hard knocks, failure, and getting yourself back up and perseverance. Uh, mm. and, and so that's what I think kind of defines uh, my attitude. I really like that, Drew. And this completes the fire round, which, Ron, <laughs> I think I think we should rename this the ember round, yeah. right? Mm -hmm. It's like the, the, the charcoals that slowly burn. Because mm -hmm. these, these I love these early rounds, but these are not fire rounds. No. This is, this is a much more discussion-based. But, Drew, you passed. You hey! passed the fire slash ember. I'm you made approved. it. I thought all of my credit cards did that. <laughs> <laughs> So let's switch gears. I know you kind of alluded to this a little bit earlier, but let's set the stage for people like me mm -hmm. who really, when it comes to the world of psychology in general, I'm really lacking. Sure. Um, I don't even know the difference, to be totally honest, between a psychologist and a psychiatrist. There is... I don't even know how to spell the two. <laughs> yeah, so tell, we got, we got tell me that. the difference. Tell me the difference between the two, and which one are you? Well, I am a psychologist. We'll put it off that way um, in the state of Tennessee, and I'll tell you why I have to qualify that in a minute. But uh, a psychiatrist is basically someone who has their medical doctorate uh, and can prescribe drugs. Now, here's the fun stuff, and I'll try to be quick with this. Psychiatrists used to do what psychologists do, and psychologists only used to do testing, okay? uh, like intelligence testing and things like that. Uh, but throughout the decades, there's been shifts and medical doctors, because that's what Freud was. Freud was a medical doctor. He kind of started a profession. He thought that you had to have a doctorate of medicine to be able to understand the mind. But as mm -hmm. times have shifted and things have shifted, psychiatrists started saying, why do we have to learn how to do therapy? Uh, this is for the birds. We just need to do learn how to do medications because that's where things are going. And this is back in the 50s and 60s and so forth. And so then that's how my field uh, became doing to do more therapy. And uh, so we do a lot more therapy than we do assessments, uh, but there are still psychologists that just do a lot of the assessments like personality testing, intelligence testing, and things like that. Um, it's still a very big part of my profession. But in the short of it, a psychiatrist prescribes medications. Some of them do do therapy, uh, but they go through, uh, psychiatrists go through four years of med school and then do like a rotation for the next few years in a, a psychiatric institute. Uh, whereas my entire career, Four years undergrad of psychology, three years master program of psychology, five-year doctor program in psychology, one-year pre-doctoral internship in psychology, and then a year postdoc in psychology. 
So <laughs> I have 13 years of just studying thinking psychology. <laughs> now, would it be fair uh, to consider yourself a therapist or is that a whole different realm as well? No, a therapist will refer to anybody who does psychological counseling. Uh, but you can't call yourself a psychologist unless you're licensed as a psychologist in that state. So just because I have a doctorate degree doesn't mean I'm a psychologist. Uh, in fact, if I were to go into Delaware and call myself a psychologist, I'd have to qualify saying I'm a psychologist in Tennessee. Because unless you're licensed as a psychologist in Delaware, you can't call yourself a psychologist. And same thing in Pennsylvania or Maryland or West Virginia or Georgia. So is there like an equivalent of a bar? Yes. For like every state? Mm -hmm. We call it the EPPP. Uh, we have to take something called an EPPP, uh, uh, the Examination in Professional Psychology Preparedness or something like that. Uh, we have to get a certain score on it. Uh, we have to – some states make you do an oral exam in front of the board. We have to go through so many supervised hours after we get our doctorate. I have to go through a year of another internship uh, and get two hours of supervision every week on my cases. Um, sit for a jurisprudence exam, which is basically the ethics and rules of the state that you're living in to make sure you know those. And then you get licensed and, and you're, you're good to go from there. Tell us what it is that you actually do. Some psychologists do counseling, some do assessment, as I said, and you have to have a, in Tennessee, you have to have a bit of different qualifications. So I'm what's called a health services provider in Tennessee, which is an important thing for my line of work prior to about COVID. Uh, I worked part-time at Cherokee Health Systems uh, where I got to see patients and do therapy and things like that. And I work full-time though now and exclusively now uh, at the University of Tennessee's Center of Excellence uh, for Children in State Custody. Actually, it's called University of Tennessee Graduate School of Medicine Center of Excellence for Children in State Custody. We just call ourselves the CUE. What we do there um, and what I do uh, is I do a lot of training for other therapists in certain things. Uh, and community mental health centers can't usually afford good training because they take people who are on state medical insurance and that doesn't pay very well. Uh, and so they can't afford to send their tra their clinicians to be trained in these therapies because they cost about five or $6,000 for a person to be trained in a certain type of therapy. So we do it for them for free. Uh, and so that's what I do. I do a lot of training of therapists throughout the state of Tennessee in a type of therapy called parent-child interaction therapy. Uh, it's for kids under the age of seven. So uh, I do a lot of that. Uh, I do some of the assessments. I do supervising of our postdoc. I uh, do some research here and there with it. Uh, but that's what keeps me busy day in and day out. You help children. and that's what I help kiddos. I help kiddos get forever families. Uh, so that's what the well, rewarding and, part of my job is. And, and kind of with that, you know, how are children reacting to COVID mm -hmm. or, or maybe – what are the considerations for parents and adults that are working with children right now in light of COVID? That's an excellent question. So as you know, I work, as I said, it's, I work a lot with the Department of Children's Services. And part of what DCS does is visitation with their parents. So when kids in state custody, a lot of times they still get visitation. And keep in mind, these are kids who are young kids, infants, babies, if you will, uh, all the way up till 17, 18-year-olds. And so when COVID hit, they had to start doing everything virtually. And people knew how to do things virtually, but at the same time, they didn't know how. And so we all know how to click on a Zoom link. Uh, we know how to click on a Zoom link. We know how to talk to somebody and hopefully get our technology set so we can hear them. What do you do with a baby on a Zoom visit? Before, moms used to rock their babies and hold them and cuddle them and feed them. It's kind of hard to do that virtually. 
Uh, and so uh, we kind of learned as we went, we came up with some recommendations that parents can do when they're visiting with their babies virtually. Huh. Some things that toddlers can do with their parents virtually and ways to kind of can keep that relationship going because it's almost not fair that a parent's supposed to gain a relationship and a bond with a baby that they can't see or touch uh, or keep a relationship. Uh, they're going to be going back to this mom in three or four months. Um, we want to be able to keep some kind of, of, of relationship there. And so uh, we help disseminate uh, information to the Department of Children's Services. These are things you can do to help keep a bond between baby and mama while you're having to do these virtual visits. Uh, you know, you can't just sit down in a room with toys and expect the kid to hold the thing the whole time and say, hi, mommy. That's not typical for a four or five year old. And so we had to come up with creative ways for them to um, do visitation and even therapy too. Oh goodness. Whole new beast with doing therapy virtually. Uh, again, mm -hmm. trying to keep a seven or eight year old in front of a, in a room is different. Like when I'm doing therapy full time and I'm in a room with an eight year old, we're doing an activity or something like that. I can keep their attention. Because I can move my head around, we can do body movements, we can do jumping jacks. Virtually, that's a little harder for me to have room control. We have had to come up with new ways to keep kids occupied through interactive games or interactive things that we do uh, through Zoom or through other methods. Uh, so it really um, uh, uh, took a learning curve there, but there are a lot of benefits that came with it too. Hmm, that's that's really interesting. Um, you know, I'm curious your take on this because. We're coming up on about a year mm -hmm. uh, that COVID, you know, has has pretty much completely taken the world by uh, and and changed our lives forever. My wife had a theory very early mm -hmm. on, like literally, it was late March, early April. She was having this thought. She said, "You know, I wonder how young children mm -hmm. who are really going through those pivotal years that are growing up during COVID." how they're going to adapt to not being able to really read people's faces because of the masks. One of the thoughts she had was she was wondering if these children or toddlers, right, will, will have to become much more perceptive of human reactions in other ways, whether it's the eyes or whether it's even reading your body. Mm -hmm. Has there been anything to that? Have you heard anything or what's your, maybe your take on that? It's not as concerning as far as their developmental um, abilities to read faces. The human brain is ingrained to look for faces and eye contact. So when we look for emotions and, and look at people for responses, we actually look more at their eyes and their mouth or their face. Um, uh, one of the tests they use for kiddos to see if they're on the autistic spectrum is actually where are the kid's eyes when they're looking at you. Kids on the spectrum who have difficulty interpreting emotions correctly often look at your nose and mouth. Uh, whereas kids who are developmentally appropriate are looking at your eyes in the top kind of uh, frame there. So uh, uh, that's not that much concerning. Babies from very early on are looking for faces and at, 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 uh, like to look more at faces than they do any other objects. It's, it's kind of almost ingrained that we look for faces uh, and are good at it. So I don't think a, uh, a break like that, even though uh, for it's in terms of COVID, is going to cause any long-term damage. Uh, also, because they're seeing their parents without their masks on, they're having to read their parents' faces and things like that. Toddlers are looking at other, you know, they don't make three and four-year-olds wear masks all the time. So, well, maybe four-year-olds, but three-year-olds usually aren't wearing masks or two or one-year-olds. Uh, and so they're being able to see other ones and two-year-olds' faces. And, of course, their parents' faces when they're in there. Uh, but the idea of looking at a face is just so ingrained. Uh, that I don't think the seeing a mask is going to cause a significant change, especially for as hopeful short-term as this is. That's really interesting. Well, Dr. Drew, we're going to take a quick commercial break, but when we come back,
We're excited to talk a little bit more about your day to day, but we want to talk about video games. Yes. We want to talk about I want to talk about Star Wars. I want to talk Bring about Star Trek. So we'll be right back <laughs> with right. Dr. Drew. If you're all the way through your last binged podcast and looking for something new, then Foundation Radio has you covered. Interviews, politics, beer drinking, pro wrestling, Dungeons and Dragons, we have something for everyone. Stream the new episodes every Tuesday wherever you find your favorite podcasts. You can find all of our archive at foundationradio.net. You can also follow us on Instagram at foundation underscore radio. Foundation Radio, something for everyone. Hey listeners, it's Ron here. I wanted to take a quick moment to tell you about our newly launched website, twostuds.com. That's T-W-O-S-T-U-D-D-S dot com. There you'll find blog entries and postings about all of our recent episodes, and you'll also be able to see how to get in touch with us and all sorts of other information about your favorite hosts, Ron and Alex Studd. We hope you'll check it out. And welcome back. We're hanging out with Drew Berkeley. So, Drew, last psychology question, and then we're going to get into some random video games and Please. fandoms. But, you know, I'm a big fan of Frasier. Uh, you know, I've watched every single episode of Cheers. I've seen almost every episode of Frasier. Mm. I, to be honest with you, that is my knowledge of the world of psychology. Mm. That's 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 what I know, right? Yeah. I'm, lis- I'm listening. And so it was announced a few weeks ago that Frasier is actually coming back to television next year in 2022. Mm-hmm. Yay or nay on Frasier Crane and his take and portrayal on psychology? So Alex Dutt, I'm going to turn this back on you. You have learned a lot today about psychology. So I'm going to ask you a question. Is Frasier a psychologist or a psychiatrist? Well, this is an interesting question because I believe he is a medical doctor. Mm-hmm. So because he's a medical doctor, I assume he can prescribe. And so because of that, he would be a psychiatrist, right? Yes. I'm yes. learning. You are learning. He That's can right. be taught. He's a psychiatrist. So in terms of who does actual therapy these days, uh, even in Frazier's generation, You're going to have fewer psychiatrists that know the ins and outs of evidence-based therapy compared to that of a psychologist. So uh, one of the last episodes of Frasier, if you recall, is him sitting on a couch with the uh, one fellow who passed away recently, the other comedian um, who is in everything. Oh, goodness gracious. Anyway, uh, and they were taking turns analyzing each other, and they sat on the couch, and the other person was off to the side out of view, and they were talking about each other. Uh, that kind of psychology doesn't exist anymore. And so I have to say, Frazier, here we go, slight tangent. That kind of psychology was called psychoanalysis. And the reason why the psychiatrist was outside of the view is because if the person said, I can only have an orgasm when a rooster crows, they didn't want the psychologist's face to influence the person's free association with what was on their mind. Uh, because if somebody said something like that, like, uh, uh, I can only smile when someone bashes my finger in you might have a visceral reaction to that Mm. but that would imply judgment on them and then so they'd stop talking about it because they think you're judging them so that's why in those scenes you see people sitting far back from where the person sees and nobody does that anymore so anyway but but when that um, show was made that was still a practice that was being done nope nope oh not really not by anybody who's mainstream no 
that died out in the fifties uh, and sixties when behaviorism started coming. Into so, play. so that is just straight up inaccurate. Anytime you see somebody as a, an example of therapy that they're sitting on a couch and talking to somebody and they're laying down, that is no longer an example of how any modern therapy is done. And it hasn't so, been in sixty years. Sixty years plus. Drew, is it fair to say because the fact that you knew a specific episode in the last bit of that series, I get the impression you are a fan of the show, but you 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 take zero stock in the actual science and psychology. They will use things to. They'll use uh, a lot of times. They'll use big words or complicated explanations. Radio talk shows like Frasers. I'm listening, uh, which was a playoff of Joyce Brothers. Uh, who did that kind of stuff uh, has now morphed into things like Dr. Phil. Those kinds of things are not helpful, except unless you're saying to somebody, you have this kind of a difficulty. I hear you. That's a tough thing. I think you need to go see a therapist with this kind of a uh, background and see him for this kind of therapy. And then you're only really helping the person if, if you say, hey, this is where you can get it. Otherwise, my problem with things like Frazier is you're exploiting people with personal problems in order to fit your pocket. Uh, you're having people talk about intimate things they might not feel, they might feel pressured to talk about on a radio that they might not otherwise say. Uh, and people think that you're generally going to help them. Uh, the sad part is, is shows like that generally don't help people. They really don't. Uh, but the way he did psychology, what he did uh, and what he said uh, was not helpful because if I could get away with saying to somebody, you just need to do this. and If you do this, you're great. Uh, I wouldn't have a job because, uh, unfortunately, people don't change that easily. Uh, I, I'd be out of a job if I, if, uh, you know, a kid says, um, you know, I say, bud, you're not doing your homework. And he says, oh, I just need to start doing my homework. Oh, problem solved. No, that's not how people change. Uh, that's not how this works. That's not how any of this works. Uh, uh, and so the psychology is, is crap. It lo- makes for good ratings. It makes for good radio shows. It makes for interesting radio shows. Uh, but it's not helpful to the person on the other end. Uh, in a large, at large here. All I can say is, I'm listening. <laughs> so, Drew, we're going to kind of make Let's a bit pivot of a away sh- from this stuff. We're going to pivot away, make a little shift. I know that you are very much into gaming, right? Mm. Mm-hmm. And you're specifically into a lot of retro games. What's, yes. What's your current retro game? And tell us what a, what about it appeals to you. What are we defining as retro? Like is PS2 retro? Are we I would say pre I would say for if you were asking me retro, I would say pre N64. Like I'm talking like 96 and earlier. Okay, 96 and earlier, so pre N64. So we're talking about Super Nintendo generation and before that. Yes. Mm-hmm. Um so uh we can go through consoles, we can go through arcade games or computer games. Uh, so uh, let's hit our consoles. Uh, my favorite console, retro console game, is on the Atari Jaguar, uh, which was the last console that Atari released, and it's a game called Zool 2, which is also available on the PC. And what I really liked about Zool 2 uh, was it was a platform game, but not a linear platform game like you find with Mario. It was a go back. It was more like Sonic in that respect, but before Sonic, mind you. How do you spell Zool? Z O O L. That's what killed me. I was like, "That's that's the boss in Ghostbusters." Zool, <laughs> and the key master in that. Zool two, and so it's a 
uh, game with a few different aspects is that you have to collect these little candy things and you have to collect so many so the timer doesn't run out. Uh, and so every time you collect one, it gives you, I think, a couple of seconds and you have to collect so many by the time you reach the end. But if you get the end and you have, don't have enough, you have to go backwards and find out where you missed them before time runs out to finish the level. And so it's kind of like if in Mario you had to collect so many coins before you could finish the level, but it was not a linear level. There were hidden places you had to find the coins uh, and your timer was running out. Uh, so that's what I like about it. Is it's a unique challenge. Um, and the bosses are also interesting on, on how you defeat them. So and I love some of the sound effects. They're great. Uh, the play's a little repetitive. But it's it's very interesting for the time it was at. Sega Brevity, give me the best Super Nintendo game. ROM one half um, RPG, because that's one of the few and it's a, uh, Super Nintendo games I've played. And the fact that was actually the first Super Nintendo game I played. I did not have a Super Nintendo as a child, Alex Stud. Who knew we were going to hit on Ranma one half twice in this episode? Right. <laughs> I played it as an emulator in college. Uh, the sophomore year of, or the the spring year of my freshman year when I had the lowest history of grades, uh, I played that RPG, uh, and it was it was my first RPG I played. I never played Final Fantasy or anything before that, uh, and so that was my favorite SNES game. In fact, I think that's the only one on the SNES that I've played all the way through. Huh, that's sad. You need to play Chrono Trigger. Just go back, finish that, and then we'll be done. Let's kind of switch gears. What about modern gaming? I believe you have a Switch, right? Yeah, 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 yeah. Switch all the way. Um, so name brand game that I like that everybody knows. Um, Zelda Breath of the Wild. Fabulous game. Great sites. Great kind of open world. Almost a little too open. Well, so um, let me let me have a follow-up to that because um, I'm sure you've heard the rumors about the upcoming Switch Pro. Mm-hmm. So it's the sequel to the Switch, which I hope they call the Super Nintendo Switch. I heard about that. That's going to be a fabulous name for it. I hope that's what they do. What are things that you'd like to see on this new system other than just better graphics, you know, and, and just an enhanced version? What are you hoping to see? You ready for this? I, the better graphics aren't going to really concern me too much. Uh, and here's why. The TV I have back here, I have a nice setup. I have a really excellent setup. I got to send you a picture. A lot of time put into it. All the cables managed and everything. We that will post up. it on the blog, Drew. Yes, You, you send a picture, we'll post it. Absolutely. So anyway, um, because I only have a 1080p back here. And the reason I have a 1080p is an old one is so I can hook up all the RCA connections for my retro consoles. Because uh, newer TVs that are 4K don't have the inputs for it. But I know you can buy adapters, but it's not the same. So what I really hope I see is the uh, Switch I have has uh, the screen itself is not a very good quality screen. The color is not as vibrant. Uh, the screen's not as bright. Uh, uh, and so I hope they have me, not just an, a, an improved display. And it would be nice if it was a 1080p display. It would be nice. Um, uh, so I'm hoping for that. I'm hoping for a greater storage capacity in it. Uh, I'm hoping what I'd love to see is you can have multiple cartridges in. Um, Are you hoping that it can accept floppy disks? It would be great to have that because then we'd be an additional storage medium there. Um, and especially if you start getting to the zip disks. Now, if you get to a zip disk, Dang, man. Or jazz. You want some jazz drives in there? (laughs) I'd like to see them support Bluetooth audio for the headphones. Mm. Uh, That, I think, is something that's crazy. That, as far as I know, uh, I could be wrong about the new PS5 and so forth, but none of the modern consoles allow for Bluetooth connections for headphones. Am I wrong? I don't know, but that seems crazy if true. I think you're right, honestly. 
It's absolutely crazy that they don't allow Bluetooth connections. It's uh, it's terrible. Um, so I, I really want the Switch to set the trend there and allow Bluetooth connection because it's there. There's a chip there. The the damn contr darn controllers do wireless through Bluetooth. So the tech's there. They just need to enable it. Uh, and so I'd like to see the multiple cartridges. I'd like to see the Bluetooth. And so uh, I want to see it powered to a point where we can have some modern ports. I don't care if it does 4K as much as I care. Can it handle if they do Fallout 5? Can it handle um, uh, the new Rogue Squadron that's coming out for Star Wars? Um, that's what I'd like to see pick up. Um, I wouldn't mind them picking up some of the N64 titles. I wouldn't mind seeing Nintendo Switch Online do N64. Because uh, they have a Nintendo, they have Super Nintendo. Let's bring in the N64 here. Give me my Rogue Squadron on N64. Um, uh, that would be pretty, pretty nice to have. Well, speaking of, you just listed a ton of Star Wars properties. Mm. Um, let's talk a little bit about your Star Wars fandom. And mm. specifically, like Star Wars is having a major rebirth right now, right? Between yeah. games, movies, TV shows. What are your thoughts on that? I like it. I like that there's this zeitgeist back again with Star Wars being in the mainstream. Uh, I feel like when I was a kiddo uh, and we'd like watch, I remember in sixth grade, we watched Empire Strikes Back. I'm like, oh, other people like this? Turns out not everybody did, but I thought uh, I, I enjoyed it. I'm, I'm liking it. Uh, one part of my job, since I'm a child psychologist, uh, is that it makes it easy for me to gain rapport with the kiddos because I have all the old Star Wars characters. And back when we were meeting in person, I'd bring them out and we'd play games and, and do things. There's no psychological interpretation. It's just that I got to play with Star Wars toys, get paid for it, and play with kids. It was fabulous. Um, and so I'm glad that the, it's back in the mainstream, makes it easier to gain rapport. Uh, love all the shows that they're having. I feel like they're really getting a chance, especially with all these streaming services, to explore different character arcs uh, and backstory. Drew, they're missing one thing. Mm, Seriously, I don't, I don't like Star Wars as much as you, but there's there's low-hanging fruit. Why have they not made a sequel to the Star Wars Holiday Special? Yes. They did! Didn't you see the Lego Star Wars Holiday Special? No. I didn't what? know. What? It must have actually been good. That's probably why I didn't see it. <laughs> there is. There is literally a Lego Star Wars Holiday Special, and they talk about Life Day. Wow, I didn't know that. I was now, being I was being facetious. <laughs> and I'm being serious. See, here's what happens when you be facetious. I'll turn it around on you. There, I have not watched it all the way through, uh, but I hate to disappoint your fans. If you haven't seen it, Carrie Fisher does not sing lyrics to Star Wars, the main theme. Uh, uh, she doesn't even make an appearance in it. It's all done Lego style. Uh, there's no terrible made-for-TV graphics and blue screen. Uh, it, it's pretty well done. Uh, it has a decent plot line, I think. I've not seen it all the way through, uh, but um, there's a Lego Star Wars Holiday Special. Quickly about the the original Star Wars Holiday Special. <laughs> do do most do most fans consider it canon? So no, it's no longer canon, and here's why. It it got like it was, and then oh. it got taken away. No, oh. no, no, none of. Okay, the only thing that's canon right now. Is episodes four, one, two, three, four, five, and six, and anything post Disney. Anything prior to that is called the Legends Universe. So basically, all that work that all these authors did, Disney said, thank you, goodbye. So what and you're telling me is that Chewie really doesn't have a son named Lumpy? 
That's not canon anymore. Life Day is canon. You're killing but me. But there's no Lumpy. Lumpy no got. No Lumpy. Uh, <laughs> uh, uh, he had a lumpectomy. He's been gone. Chewie well. had a lumpectomy. Um, so... <laughs> Poor Alex. He's just sitting there like, Sorry, wait. Buddy. Chewie now, had a son named Lumpy? That was my favorite character in the whole universe. Same here. Absolutely. I mean, didn't he just speak to you through the all, all the <laughs> Well, and in and, and the Star Wars holiday band, a lot of people forget this. Jefferson Starship was in oh, yeah. was in the band. It was in the movie. That was them. Yeah. That was they were the holographic band. Yeah. They were, they were. Um, so you're so saying that, of, that didn't actually that's all, not, none of that so unless Star, you Jefferson Starship is not actually canon in the Star Wars universe. You're fired. Wow. Yep. Done. Done. And not only, right, here's my correct, not only do they redo everything, but they're gonna try and redo everything again. They're trying to say episodes uh eight, nine, and ten were part of the veil of shadows. Woo! That's actually it good. Never happened. What do you mean you it have, never happened? It didn't happen for good reason. And the good reason is that because <laughs> eight, nine, and ten weren't very good. Well, eight was good. Eight was fine. Eight, eight was good. Nine just kind of was like, hey, up until like the last, I don't know, half hour, it was pretty good. And then it was just like, you know what? Let's throw it to JJ and let him, you know, figure out how Ryan to make ten work. Message that Ryan let, let him make, got, got us in. But yeah. but you're telling me like they were just like yeah we made all these films and they crushed the box office and we're just gonna like now a few years later pretend that that never happened. Yep. Well, uh, Kathleen Kennedy is on her way out at Lucasfilm. Right. So that's where this is going is because she's got her contract wasn't renewed. There wasn't uh, to put it. I think Ron said this in an earlier conversation with me. There was not a balance of the force in the Kathleen Kennedy office. Uh, yeah. uh, a balanced viewpoint as far as how the movie should be made and what should they focus on. So that's one of the reasons why they think they're kind of terrible. But they're trying to get away of a concept uh, planted in the Clone Wars cartoon series called The Veil of the Force, I think it is, or The Veil of Shadows. I forget exactly what it's called. Uh, 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 but uh, to try and explain away this alternate universe that 8, 9, and 10 took place in. For casual fans like myself, all this does is alienate it and make it even more confusing. Like I'm someone I've never read the books. I've never really, I, I watched the movies and it's a popcorn flick. I'm not into it. Like you are, it's not a life thing, but, but when you tell me, Oh, well you saw these movies and by the way, they're not part of the, the, the real story anymore, but, but they were when they were originally made, like all of a sudden that just turns me off. Like I'm like, well, what else am I gonna? If, if you bring out a new movie and I really enjoy it, like, are you gonna say that didn't exist in a couple of years too? Star Trek when they rebooted it. Do you remember how they rebooted it? No, I've never watched Star Trek in my life. Well, Star, I think what they're trying to do is take a page from the Star Trek example. So when Chris Pine, I think it was Chris Pine, right? Yeah, yeah, took over as Captain Kirk. They had this kind of like a little bit of crossover where there was a space time dimension, and whoa, there's a different timeline now. And so that's how they got away with rebooting the Star Trek franchise uh, away from the original series uh, timeline uh, because they had some fancy things happen. And people bought into it. People went to go see it. People bought the action figures. They bought the merchandise. They went to go see the movie several times. It was very successful until Chekhov got pinned by his Jeep against a garage. Um, and I guess the guys just got tired of trying to 
change things around. So I think they're trying to take a page out of that, but I agree with you. At some point, it's going to look like just like a cash grab. And keep this in mind, too. No matter how bad people hated 1, 2, and 3, Lucas stood by his work. Yep. It was crap, but he stood by his work. Lots to unpack there with Star Wars. We'll have to have you back for that. But before we get to the Star Wars track, let's go to the Star Trek Wars, um, specifically Uh, getting to Star Trek. So Star Trek's also going through a similar rebirth. What are your thoughts on that? I'm enjoying some of the series. I did did subscribe to CBS All Access so I could do Picard. Mm -hmm. Uh, I enjoyed Picard. Um, I thought it was a, a well-done script. John, uh, they had data back there for a couple of subs. It was great. I have not seen uh, Beneath the Decks or Behind the Decks, whatever the heck that thing's called. Below the Decks. <laughs> Below the Decks. Not suiting my fancy, but mm. um, uh, it, it, I think the Next Generation TV series has aged quite well, mm. um, actually, when, I, when I'm going back and look at it. Uh, considering there's a similar time frame between when the – uh, the uh, difference between when Next Gen aired and today uh, to when the original series aired and when Next Gen aired. It was about 20, 20 years or so, uh, 20, 30 years. And so I think Next Gen aged much better mm. uh, than the original series. So I'm enjoying it. Bring it on. I hope these franchises never die. They're definitely cultural phenomenons. They're ingrained in our culture. There's references to them left and right. Who doesn't know Live Long and Prosper? Or beam me up, Scotty, which was never phrased by anybody. So I hope they continue. Drew. Yes. Simple one word answer. Team Kirk or Team Picard? Team Janeway. Mm. And not um what's his name from uh Scott Bakula? Archer? Oh, yeah, Captain Archer. Not Captain Archer. Go Captain Janeway. Oh, there you go. There you go. See, that's the, that's the one they don't ever talk about. No one talks about Captain Janeway or Cisco. One of my memories of you, you talked about some early memories of me. One of the memories I remember of you, because I was talk, I was so fascinated as like a probably 11-year-old kid talking to you about, oh, you worked at Burger King. Oh, that's so cool. <gasps> and I remember you telling me this story. And I actually, I don't know to this day whether you were just like screwing with me or not. But you told me that there was this operation between coworkers of McDonald's and coworkers of Burger King, where they would swap burgers and be like, you know, for the workers, they'd be like, "Hey, yeah, man, I'll, I'll hook you up with some McDonald's burgers if you give us some Burger King burgers." Were you screwing with me? Where that actually happened? Several times that happened. Absolutely. <laughs> so there was a Wendy's on Forty after I buy the Burger King, and after I'd leave, I'd go to the Wendy's drive-through, and for like three weeks, when I closed. Before they, they changed their, our procedures, I'd say, all right, guys, I got a Whopper in here. I got a cheeseburger. All right, we'll give you a James double. We'll give you some fries. Here's a thing of chili. And we'd swap because we were closed and they were still open. And it was great. I did that like two or three times with them. It was great. So you did that with Wendy's, not McDonald's. I didn't do it with McDonald's, but I did it with Wendy's people. Uh, Fast uh, food workers unite. Uh, and w- well, here's what happened with Wendy, with uh, burger, with uh, McDonald's. Uh, so we all need buns, and, and the restaurant managers all know each other. And so we have used, in my Burger King, they had used McDonald's buns for Burger King burgers. I'm not shitting you on that either. What? I'm not shitting you. Let me ask you. I mean, for a layman, if if, if you were to present a McDonald's bun and a Burger King bun, could anyone tell the difference? You would because the buns have different diameters. Um, so a the burger patties are pretty much the same. Uh, except Burger King buns always have Sesame Street even on the burgers, 
even on the smaller patties, they have sesame seeds. McDonald's don't, except for the Big Mac. Cheeseburgers don't have sesame seeds on them, but the Quarter Pounders um, have sesame seeds, and they're just not—they're not as big as a Whopper, uh, but they're bigger than a burger. So we'd take the Quarter Pounder buns, and it would look, make our burgers look huge. Okay, it'd make us look like we have like freaking like dynamite big ass burgers here. Um, and really, it's the same burger; it's just a smaller bun. Um, so uh, we we swapped once in a while. We so did. smart tactic Burger King should implement is get smaller buns, makes the burgers look bigger, Absolutely. Makes, people, makes people think that they're getting a better deal than they actually are. The only problem with that is when they wrap a burger with a bigger bun, with a bigger um, burger patty, is it can break the wrapper easier. Mm. So the bun helps protect the meat, if you will. Well, listen, Drew, we've taken up too much of your time. <laughs> we need to have you back on. I want to talk more about Burger King, yeah. to be honest. But we Let's can talk. That's, we much can more, talk. that's much more exciting than my current occupation. <laughs> but but we do want to know, for all the lovely listeners who say, oh, I, I want to know more about Drew Berkeley. Um, where can we find you? How can we hear more about you? If you want to know more about Drew, put my name into Google and you can look at some of my fascinating presentations on how to deal with explosive children. You can find me at the PCIT International website where I am a with an agency trainer. Uh, basically, what I do is I help kids learn to listen to their parents. And so the parent gives a command, kid screams and yells, we put them in a chair. I make kids scream for a living is also what I do. Uh, and I don't mind it at all. <laughs> hmm. So, yeah, uh, uh, there's some fascinating things in there. Oh, don't do those vitals things. I mean, you can see it, but it's all just junk for me to pay money towards. Oh, it says what? you speak English. I didn't know. I speak English. He speaks English. It's anguish because I'm angry all the time. No. Uh, there's some. If you look at the images, there's some images of some presentations I've done. There's Learning Cafe video YouTube channel we have uh, where I get to introduce all of our fabulous speakers and you get to learn something about psychology in the process. So the website is utcoe.org. Scroll down to the videos and click on our YouTube channel for excellent introductory videos to a variety of psychological topics, including but not limited to diversity, infant mental health, uh, and working with young children. Well, Drew, it's been a pleasure. We're looking forward to having you back on the show. And um... Yeah. If we talk Thanks about again. Burger King, I'll tell you about the time I got held up at gunpoint, and then the time somebody, a woman, jumped on a person's car and threatened to stalk me because I didn't give them money rings. We'll, Drew, we'll why about. did we talk at all about psychology? We should have spent the whole time talking no, about Burger we King. Should have. We should have. We absolutely should have. I have so many better Burger King stories about the lights going off, the Coke machine going down, the oh, uh, don't forget the time that like they threw a uh, soda at you or oh, a good. Uh, yeah. milkshake. Absolutely. Yeah, that was funny. I've too. got stories like my psychology life. My job is, is exciting for me. I've got stories that will make grown men cry about what kids have been through. Uh, but it's not very exciting unless you're in psychology. My Burger King stories are much, much more relatable, uh, relatable to the average Joe. Absolutely. Drew, it's been a pleasure. We're, we're really thankful to have you on. And thank you for just sharing your insights about fandom psychology. And just being an awesome person. Yeah. It's been a pleasure. And we're looking forward to having you back. That sounds like a plan. Anytime, rich gentlemen. Anytime. <laughs>